I'm Sarah Heiner, President of Bottom Line Inc., the number one provider of expert sourced, expert vetted, expert advice that empowers your life. I'm thrilled to be talking today to Dr. Michael Bruce. His website is thesleepdoctor.com, but I call him Dr. Sleep. He's a clinical psychologist, diplomat of the American Board of Sleep Medicine, and fellow of the American Academy of Sleep. He's also the author of several books, including The Power of When. And you've probably seen Dr. Bruce on one of his many appearances on television, including on Dr. Oz and The Doctors. You can learn more about Dr. Bruce and his work at thesleepdoctor.com. So welcome, Michael. Thank you for being with me. Oh, thanks for having me. All right, let's talk about sleep and anxiety. Um, and it's almost a chicken and egg thing. There's, you know, so many people have sleep problems. What is it? About 60% of people complain about their quality <laughs> or the quantity of their sleep. And then we There's have quite a, a few of them. And then we have an anxiety epidemic. And how, let's, let's unpeel the connection and separation between them and the connection between sleep and anxiety. So the number one complaint that I get is I can't turn off my brain uh, when going to bed. And that is certainly an anxiety response. You know, when people think of anxiety, they think of panic attacks or phobias or things like that. That's not the anxiety that I'm talking about. I'm talking about the, I finally get in bed, nobody's talking to me, the lights are out, and then a million things come flying into my brain. And I think about all the things I did right, all the things I did wrong, what I need to do the next day, that kind of stuff. That's the type of anxiety that is incredibly disruptive to sleep. Now, there's another type of anxiety for sleep, and that's actually where people get anxiety about sleep itself, where they say, oh my gosh, tonight's gonna be another bad night, I'm gonna continue, and they work themselves into a situation where yes, they are going to have bad sleep because primarily they've actually you know, forced themselves to do it because they've created so much internal anxiety. Right. It becomes so a sleep, there's a lot of different ways. It becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. They started out with a little bit of anxiety about life, and it turned into an anxiety about, can I fall asleep tonight? Yes, that's exactly right. So how do you identify, how do you unpeel the two of them? How do you break it down when someone comes into you with these issues to go back to the root problem for that individual? So in my world, I use cognitive behavioral therapy. So when you look at the different types of sleep specialists out there, um, there are very, very few insomnia specialists. I happen to be one. Um, but generally speaking, when you talk to somebody who's a sleep doctor, they're an apnea, narcolepsy, restless legs doctor. They're either a pulmonologist or a neurologist. Um, and if you do talk to them about your issues with sleep and anxiety, nine times out of 10, they're gonna hand you a sheet that, with some, uh, a couple of tips and a prescription. Um, that's not what I do, because when you, when you do that, then you, you really don't do anything but make this person dependent upon sleeping pills. Don't get me wrong, there are absolutely positively times when sleeping pills are appropriate. I get it, um, but generally speaking, when you're looking at anxiety, if you use cognitive behavioral therapy, you can change a lot of those things. So with, with, when a lot of people who are anxious about sleep, they have very well-known um, fears. So one of those fears is if I don't get eight hours of sleep, I'm not going to be productive the next day. And that we have them rate those fears on a scale of one to 10. And usually it's a nine or a 10. Well, the truth of the matter is, is that a lot of times these are what we call distortions or cognitive distortions where people are blowing things out of proportion. And so when you sit in talk therapy and you really dissect what their feeling is about sleep, you start to realize 
that there's a different underlying issue. It's not that they're, you know, because they've had less than eight hours of sleep and been plenty productive. So that's really not the case. What else is really going on? And you start to reframe how they think about sleep. It's a process. It takes about uh, eight to 10 weeks of, of a session once a week um, where uh, these cognitive distortions have been identified and it can be incredibly effective. In fact, the data would suggest that Cognitive behavioral therapy is not only more effective than medication, it lasts longer. So if somebody, let's go back to the people that have anxiety, and they've got anxiety for whatever reasons, like the people that, you know, their brains can't shut off, but they're not necessarily going to a sleep doctor first. Should they, and no. they, they go to the regular doctor. As you say, the doctor gives them a prescription for Xanax or some other medication for right. their anxiety. Right. Should, when should they go, you know, should they come to a CBT therapist or or to you or to someone trained it if it's how do they know to go that there's another way or if they're getting treated properly for that anxiety so unfortunately it's all on the patient you really have to be pretty savvy for yourself because many physicians out there don't even know about cognitive behavioral therapy or they quite frankly they don't even think about it and when they think about sleep they just think about apnea um, you can uh, Google, you know, behavioral sleep medicine, and there is a behavioral sleep medicine board and a board exam that people have taken that make them qualified to do CBT uh, for insomnia. There are also online courses that are available. Um, I have an online course on my website that people can purchase. There are also there's one called Shut Eye. Um, there's a couple of them out there that are cognitive behavioral therapy online. The truth of the matter is we don't have enough providers of cognitive behavioral therapy to meet the need. Um, and so it's, it's a difficult situation in many cases. Does CBT work for basic anxiety? Absolutely. So that's really where they need to go. If they start with the anxiety first, consider CBT for that basic treatment before it even heads into the sleep issues. Hopefully. I would <laughs> I, say yes. Ideally. All right. So let me ask you this. I remember... Um, I had different sleep issues at different ages. So I remember sometime when I was, I'll call it 10 or so, and I got afraid, like suddenly I became conscious of death. And that was fearful then. And then in teen years, there was some other issue. And then when hormones come up, everything else changes. So that, you know, what's the, what's the impact of, are there different impactors of sleep and anxiety as you age? Absolutely. So there's different types of anxiety that seem to change over the course of time. So like uh, one, here's, I'll give you one example. I call it mommy somnia, right? So new moms, first, first time having a child, um, they rarely sleep for the first year and a half to two years because they're just on edge thinking, uh, what am I doing? What am I doing? That's one kind. Then, you know, as the, as you get older, you could have, um, insomnia associated with pain. You could have insomnia associated, uh, and, and the anxiety that comes with that. So I have low back pain every time I get in bed. Am I going to feel pain? Am I not going to feel pain? That raises your anxiety, makes it difficult to sleep. I mean, the number of examples can kind of go on and on and on. There's lots of different types of anxiety. And these anxieties change um, in terms of as we go through our lifetime. Well, and how about, again, I want to push a little bit on kids and teens because I think we have an awful lot of kids and teens that oddly are having sleep issues. They're having, they're yep. certainly having anxiety issues. So right. what, what can we do to help them? Where's those anxieties and what, what can a parent do if their kid is saying they've got sleep issues to help them in a, in a healthful and constructive way rather than an, oh my gosh, my kid has to be diagnosed and medicated kind of way? Well, so first of all, let's talk about the last statement that you made, which is my kid needs to be medicated. 
Very, very, very few children need sleeping pills. Let's just be very clear about that. Um, and that, and by the way, that includes over-the-counter sleeping pills, and that includes supplementation like melatonin. Um, almost no children are going to require that. There is a caveat. Kids who are on the autism spectrum, absolutely melatonin has been shown in numerous studies to be very effective at very high dosages, 5 to 10 milligrams is where we see those kids um, being helped by melatonin. But those are the only kids that you would be doing this. It's really about education. It's really about teaching them the importance of sleep. Their bodies will sleep. Um, it, now, if you've got a child who's got panic attacks, who's got generalized anxiety disorder, who's got phobias, then yes, you're in for a rougher ride for sure. Um, but it, again, cognitive behavioral therapy and using behavioral techniques will work with them. It just might take a little bit longer. And how about kids if they've got whatever fears of the dark room, the boogeyman, mm -hmm. who knows whatever stuff it is? Again, how can they help those kids not? I'm trying to figure out how we can cut off future sleep issues for these kids. Well, the biggest thing, I mean, well, so first of all, there's some great books out there. Um, Solve Your Child's Sleep Problems by Richard Ferber is excellent. Uh, Mark Weisbluth has got a, a great book, Healthy Child, uh, Healthy Sleep, Healthy Child. Um, there's some great books out there for parents to read and, and kind of get their hands wrapped around um, some of those sleep issues for sure. Um, but in some cases, if you've got an anxious child, you're going to have an anxious adult and they're going to have sleep problems. I mean, some of this stuff you just can't change. I'm, I'm pausing because, you know, I watch, I watch so many parents and their interactions with their kids, and I mm -hmm. always worry that there's something in the interaction, that are we creating fears in our kids for whatever reason? Um, well, I, I don't know. It's, yeah. You know, that's kind of a tough one. Um, I, would, I would say that as parents, if we can be um, the best guides, if we can show our children how important sleep is to us, and be the best role models, I think that will go a long way with them knowing and understanding what's good for their sleep. All right, I'm gonna take a pause. We're gonna come back and we're gonna talk about teens and anxiety and sleep. So we're with Dr. Michael Bruce, thesleepdoctor.com. I'm talking to Dr. Michael Bruce, one of the foremost experts on sleep. Dr. Bruce says, everything you do, you do better with a good night's sleep. But sadly, Americans are struggling to get that good night's sleep and it's affecting their mood, their health, their family, and even their job. Michael has been providing Bottom Line's readers with tips to improve their sleep for many years. His insights appear regularly in our flagship publication, Bottom Line Personal, which is filled with information from America's leading experts on not just overcoming insomnia and the importance of a good night's sleep, but on all aspects of your life, including living a healthy life, travel, insurance, retirement planning, smart tax strategies, and so much more. Bottom Line Personal has been helping people lead more informed and vibrant lives for over 40 years with our actionable and double fact-checked advice. Subscribe today and get a free bonus book, Bottom Line's Best Bets, full of some of the greatest tips from our experts of all time. Just go to bottomlineinc.com forward slash BLP. That's bottomlineinc.com forward slash BLP. All right, we're back with Dr. Michael Bruce, thesleepdoctor.com, and we're talking about sleep and anxiety and anxiety and sleep. It's like a chicken and egg disorder. Um, right. But I want to talk, I want to push a little bit now. So we talked about kids and their sleep issues and developing anxiety when they're young and the benefits of CBT, cognitive behavioral therapy, to help them. Let's talk about teens. You know, our teens are having a very hard time in life. 
So what happens with teens who are now developing anxiety and sleep issues? Well, so in many cases, um, those are being exacerbated by exposure to blue light. So obviously take the blue light out of the rooms if possible. Um, the other thing is, um, you know, a lot of teenagers think that they're missing out on something else that's going on while their other friends are awake and, and doing all these different things. Most teenagers, if you really sit them down and you talk to them, they'll tell you they're tired and they'll tell you that they want to sleep. I've had very few teenagers tell me that they have anxiety surrounding sleep. Um, now, the ones that do, um, we educate them again. We teach them how to identify things that are making them anxious, and then hopefully we remove some of those triggers um, and change the way they think. And is there is there a part of it where they've got their false expectations that they're supposed to go to sleep at a certain time, or again they're supposed to get eight hours of sleep or seven hours of sleep? How to help people understand that they might have unique sleep cycles or patterns? Are we talking about teenagers or are we talking about adults? Because teenagers need a lot more sleep than seven hours of sleep. Um, I, I guess I, I lump them all together into people. You know, I don't know where, where do the anxieties move? Like when do people who are bimodal start? When do people who have their unique sleep cycles occur? Does it start when they're teens or does it occur when they're adults? Right around the, your sleep, your chronotype and your sleep cycles really kind of set right around age 18. So, or 18 to 20. So that's really when we start to see uh, many of those issues. And by the way, I have very few teenagers who have insomnia. Most of my teenagers, I, what they have is they like to go to bed late and sleep late. It, very few of them, you know, will tell me I can't fall asleep. I try to sleep at, you know, 10 o'clock and I can't fall asleep. That's, that's pretty rare. So it really, for them, it really is sleep hygiene and getting off the screen. Well, it and, could be right. sleep hygiene, but it's probably if they're having other anxiety issues, right. it's that other anxiety that needs to be treated that's fueling the sleep problem. The, the big diagnostic problem here is, is exactly what you said at the beginning. Is, is it a chicken or is it an egg? Is it the anxiety that's fueling the sleep or is it the sleep or is it the lack of sleep that's making the anxiety worse? And you, sometimes you just have to break the cycle. Now, in some cases, now we're talking about adults, in order to break that cycle, absolutely we use something that's pharmaceutical to help break that cycle or supplemental to help break that cycle. And then once we break the cycle, two to three months down the road, we can taper them off the medication or the supplement and get them sleeping again. Um, okay, so let's go back to these sleep pattern things, though. So again, because there's so much pressure, of, you know, does it create an anxiety? Are we creating our own anxiety if you have a sleep pattern that's not what I'll call normal? That if you don't necessarily go to, you know, you're a night, as we said, a night owl, the old days that you, you had a later sleep clock. Um, or if you're somebody that gets up in the middle of the night, how do you help people understand that that's okay and that that's their proper time? <laughs> or is it by the power of when and then they'll understand what their sleep, unique sleepism well, is? I mean, honestly, it's re yes and no. It's really about education. Right. So the first thing I do is I give people permission to not have to have eight hours of sleep a night. Because again, very few people actually need exactly eight hours. Some people need more, some people need less. Um, it's really about education and teaching people kind of what's going on and validating for them. Like, you know, I sleep six and a half hours and I'm the sleep doctor. As soon as people hear that, they're like, oh, wow, then I guess it must be okay. Well, it, it, it's okay for me. Um, I, I hope it's okay for you. You know, look, there's not a person in the universe who doesn't know when they're tired and when they want and when they need more sleep. So again, understanding what your own body needs are and then doing things to get them really should bring people along that path to healthier sleep.
And what do you say to people who come in and say they've tried everything? Yeah, well, most of the time they have. Um, for people who've tried everything, and I mean, that's kind of a difficult question to answer because it's so general. Um, but first of all, nobody has probably tried everything. That's number one. And number two, most people, when they say they've tried something, that means they've tried it for two or three nights. Okay, sleep doesn't work that way. For example, when I do cognitive behavioral therapy for people, it takes weeks before we start to see any treatment gains. And I'm usually using techniques called sleep restriction and things of that nature. Um, and it takes three to five weeks before we start to see anything. So, you know, buying a sound machine and thinking that's everything that you could do and listening to it three nights in a row and it not working is not really trying. Well, and it, I think I've talked um, in other places on other podcasts about patients and our need in society for immediate gratification. And this clearly is someplace where one night of change is not gonna, gonna, going to do it but you need to change your entire cycle and pattern. Yes, I agree. So if you're waking up, if, you, if you're doing what you're supposed to and theoretically getting enough sleep, but you still wake up not refreshed or you feel like you're still tired, when do you see a, a doctor? Or when do I either go to a sleep doctor or do I go to another mm -hmm. doctor? Yeah, exactly that time. When you are getting the recommended hours of sleep that you think your body needs and you're still waking up unrefreshed, there's something wrong with the quality of your sleep. And the only way to determine that usually is through a sleep study. So that's when you would talk with a sleep specialist. They might be concerned about sleep apnea, or narcolepsy, restless legs, those kind of things. Got it. All right. Dr. Michael Bruce, thesleepdoctor.com. Thank you very much. Sure. My pleasure. Everybody have some sweet dreams. <laughs> you too. Bye.